Turn in your copy of Scripture uh, to Proverbs chapter 27. Uh, while you're turning there, remind you that as a church, we pray together at one o'clock for one thing, for one minute. We pray together as a church family and encourage you to pray this week at one o'clock for this one thing, for those who are far from God. There are people in your circle of influence, people at work or at school or in your neighborhood who are, are far from God. Would you commit this week to pray for one minute every day at one o'clock for that one person who is far from God. Pray that God would open the door for you to talk with them about the good news of God's great love given to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Would you pray for them that God would tackle any barriers or obstacles that would be a blockage uh, to them uh, coming near to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Would you pray for the Holy Spirit uh, to do the work that our words cannot do, that that the Holy Spirit would do that amazing work of grace in the life of that one person, and that we as a church would be able to rejoice with you over that one that you have been praying for. Uh, so this week at 1 o'clock, let's pray for this one thing, those who are far from God. Uh, also, as a church, we not only pray together, but we memorize Scripture together. Uh, this week, our memory passage comes from Philippians chapter 2. And I, I wanted to read Philippians chapter 2 uh, uh, because it does apply to what we're going to be talking about today. Do you realize that uh, being part of the church, uh, being a person who has been rescued by God's grace and brought into the church, and namely this local family of faith called First Norfolk, uh, being part of the church, whether it's uh, First Norfolk on Kimsville or First Norfolk on Volvo, or whether it's our Hispanic fellowship or our Russian congregation, uh, regardless of, of which uh, form or location or language, um, uh, you're part of this family of faith. And as part of this family of faith, uh, you've been rescued by God's grace so that you can behave in a way that helps others become part of this family of faith. Now, did you get that? I want you to hear that because that's important. You and I have been uh, saved by God's grace, rescued, brought into this family of faith so that we can behave in such a way that helps others become part of this family of faith. One of the ways that God has made this church and every church, but this church is how we relate to one another. All right, Philippians chapter 2, this isn't our text today, this is just the memory verse. And you all think, oh, when's he going to get to the text? Well, I'll get there. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is our memory verse this week. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any uh, fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by, having the, uh, by being like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also 
in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that people throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads, regardless of their cultural identities, regardless of their uh, demographics, regardless of, uh, of, of their background or religious affiliations, every person in the seven cities of Hampton Roads, every person is looking for a friend. Every person is looking for a friend, but not just any kind of friend. Every person is looking for a friend that helps them experience life-affirming, soul-satisfying journey. It's more than just, I want to be in a place where people know my name. It's, I want to be in a place where people know my name, and they embrace me, and I gain life by being with them. All of us want that kind of friendship. We sit in American pop culture. Uh, the Lone Ranger always had Tonto. Uh, we, we sit in uh, uh, Calvin always had Hobbes. Uh, Hobbes is a make-believe, right? Which one's the, which one's the little, which one's the, uh, t- I, I, Zwingli, <laughs> Calvin had Zwingli, or Melanchthon. This is just an immature joke that I'm having with person on the front row. Um, Calvin had Hobbes. Uh, last week we talked about Barney Five. He always had Andy Taylor. Um, we, 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 we look and, and we see that even in more modern motifs, you've got Han Solo always had Chewbacca. Some of y'all are who? It's all right. Um, either get old school or new school. Don't stay where you are, all right? But Han Solo always had Chewbacca. Um, we, we see this in literature, not just American culture, but in literature. And one of the greatest trilogies, and they're more than just the trilogy, but the trilogy is all I'll talk about. It. There's a trilogy that was written, movie was made about the trilogy, um, and it was written uh, almost a century ago is by a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I don't know if you realize that, but uh, realize this, but the Lord of the Rings trilogy is built on the premise of life-giving, soul-satisfying friendships. It begins with the book, Fellowship of the Ring, where you have uh, this gathering of people who want to destroy the evil uh, in Mordor, um, uh, made possible by a really bad cat named Sauron. And so the Fellowship of the Ring forms to destroy the evil. Uh, we see the Fellowship disbanding at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, but the friendships don't. And in the next book, The Two Towers, we see how these friendships, even though fractured by place, still have strength and purpose. And then we get to the final, uh, final book, And we see that how, uh, the final book, The Return of the King, how that friendship, literally friendship, wins the day over Sauron and evil. And it's not just a friendship between uh, all these forces that create armies that, no, what really wins the day is the friendship between two unlikely people, really hobbits, Samwise, Gamgee, and Frodo, the hobbit. These two friends who connected themselves together, 
who were committed to each other, who helped each other in good times and bad, through the ups and the downs, these two friends navigated the dangerous territory of evil places and literally defeated the great wickedness of Middle Earth. We need friends like that. Those are the kind of friends we're searching for. Those are the kind of friends that the Bible talks about. Uh, when we look in Proverbs chapter 27, we see it summarized, and this type of friendship summarized in verse 17. In Proverbs 27, 17, perhaps one of the most familiar of all Proverbs in the whole book, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so what happens? So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, the picture there is two people connected together, helping each other become more like Jesus. I know that's a Christian theme on an Old Testament passage, but that really is the point, that, that we take on the character uh, that is described throughout Proverbs, the, the character of wisdom. And how do we get hold of that character of wisdom? It is through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the first friend we need to become the friend that we need to be. And Jesus is the first friend that we need in order to become the friend we need to be. And as we look through Proverbs 27, and as we think about these wise friends that sharpen us and how that we can be that wise friend that sharpens others, I want you to understand God designed it this way so that this place, all right, every person in this gathering who is a follower of Jesus Christ and part of this family of faith, God has brought you here so that we would be a gathering of wise friends for, the, uh, for all the people scattered throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads where they could find friends that help them find life. The point of friendship isn't just that I get to tailgate with somebody. Nothing wrong with tailgating. Y'all know tailgating. It's, at, it's a college football thing that happens where you go and you barbecue and you have a good time. All right, so, so it's more than just finding friends with common interests where I can hang out with them on a Friday night and, uh, and rejoice over my high school team winning, or I can hang out with them on a Saturday night and rejoice over Tennessee finally winning a game, uh, University of Tennessee volunteers, go Vols, uh, or a Monday night tailgate. Uh, don't come to my house, but, but there will be a tailgate somewhere on Monday night when we rejoice over the Dallas Cowboys beating the New York Giants. Go Cowboys. I just love the responses. But the kind of friends we need are more than those that we can hang out with. More than those that we can just spend some time with. We need friends, and we need to be a friend that leads to soul satisfaction on our journey through this life. That's, that's what God has established in wise friends. Wise friends help us experience a soul-satisfying journey in life. It's wise friends that, 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 that help us navigate the ups and the downs. We the church are supposed to be those wise friends for people, even those who don't even know God. 
The strength of the church is not found in the size of the building or the expanse of the membership or the multitude of locations or the variety of languages. The strength of the church, as God has designed her, is in the relationships that we have and the wisdom that we offer to all who gather with us. God created this church not for ourselves alone, but God created this church so that all those wandering at the highways and byways of the seven cities of Hampton Roads who are looking for relationships that will be life-affirming and soul-satisfying might say, you ought to try that first Norfolk because there are some people there who really do care. And when we live up to being wise friends, then we see the church begins to flourish. We begin to flourish. So today, as we look at iron sharpening iron, as, as we look at what it means to be a wise friend, I want us to, as we look at what it means to have uh, a soul-satisfying journey that's dependent upon wise friends, as we look at that, I want you to think about, am I that wise friend? I want you to think, am I surrounding myself with wise friends. You know, we uh, set it up here in the church uh, in a small group structure. Our life groups are established so that you can have a circle of friends who are more like family than just like friends. And these friends are the ones who help you have a soul-satisfying journey, but also you're in that mix too, and you are helping others experience a soul-satisfying journey. So how do we become friends like that? How do we find friends like that? Well, that's what Proverbs 27 uh, unleashes for us. Proverbs 27, if you look in verses 11 and 12, we're going to kind of pick through some of these passages, but, but a soul-satisfying journey depends on wise friends. And who are these friends? These are friends who live by a reliable compass. Uh, we need to be a friend who lives by a reliable compass. Can I tell you what is an unreliable compass? Your feelings. Can I tell you what is an unreliable compass? My opinion. Please, can everybody look this way. Don't get captured in the nose. Just look this way. My opinion is an unreliable compass. Your opinion is an unreliable compass. You know what's an unreliable compass? Uh, my, my, uh, my, my philosophies, all my philosophies, all the things that I, I've created in order to navigate life, all those philosophies, unreliable compass. There's only one reliable compass, and that is the will of God made available by the Word of God, applied to the heart of people by the Spirit of God. That is a reliable compass. It becomes the light to our path, the lamp to our feet. It becomes the, the compass that keeps us out of trouble, that, that navigates us away from the crevice of, of, of tragedy in our sin. It is the very definition of wisdom, a reliable compass. We see in verse 11 where, uh, where it's this guy who's talking, not necessarily talking to his biological son, but just to a younger person. He says, 
Uh, verse 11, my son, be wise and make my heart glad. It's this call to wisdom. What is wisdom? Proverbs 1, 7. Remember, Proverbs 1, 7, uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is me adjusting my life according to God's word. Not my opinion, but God's word. Not thus says Eric Thomas, but thus says the Lord God. How do we know thus says the Lord God? You open up from Genesis and go through Revelation, thus says the Lord God. And the Spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to our heart so that we might have a reliable compass to navigate the ups and downs of life. What makes a good friend is a friend who lives by the Word of God. Am I that friend? You go verse 12, here's what a wise friend does. A wise friend, verse 12 says, a wise friend or a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on are punished. So wisdom says, I know what God says, and that helps me avoid when evil comes. And am I that kind of friend that, that is living my life not based upon, you come to me and say, Eric, I've got this idea about how I ought to do things. What do you think? If I'm going to give a reliable answer, it's not, well, here's what I feel, or here's what I think but rather, here's what God's Word says. I get up here, I talk more than anybody else in this church to the church. Y'all know that, right? You're like, <laughs> yeah, we know that. Uh, the only strength in my words are the words that are tied to the Word of God. There is nothing in Eric Thomas that provides any kind of wisdom that will help anybody navigate the ups and downs of life successfully. It's more like the blind leading the blind. But when I deliver the word of God, when I extol the word of God, when I unveil the word of God, then you have something strong upon which to live your life, something reliable. The only reliable thing we have in this life is God himself. And I want to be the friend who points you to God himself. To adjust your life to fit according to God's word. That's what friends do. We need to be the friend that lives with this reliable compass, God's word. If you've got some, uh, and please know, I know people have different opinions about what I, what I uh, different opinions than I do. I know you do. I'm not dumb. I understand. But friends, please know that it's not my opinion that matters. It's what God's Word says that matters. And if you've got a different opinion, again, understand it's not your opinion that matters. It's what God's Word says that matters. So let's get together in God's Word and find the course of action for our life together as friends. Okay? That's what friends do. Friends have a reliable compass, and that's who we want to hang out with. You don't want to hang out with the friend that uh, is just as lost in the dark places as you are. You want to hang out with the friend that has the lamp to light the way. 
You want to hang out with the friend so that together you follow this lamp. You understand this lamp. You, you pursue the direction of this lamp. You live by this lamp, a reliable compass, God's word, to show us the true north to navigate through any dangerous place, through the ups and downs. So God's word is not, please hear this because we're about to enter into political season number one, two, and three, right? Wisdom is not what a political party nor its platform has to say. Do not exalt that to the place of God's word. When you do, you have violated the very core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and the church. Okay? Now, I, y- y'all will clap, but we'll have people leave because I just said that, right? And, and I appreciate that. I really do. I understand you want to be in a place where you can exalt your political platform to a place of Scripture. It's not there. It doesn't belong there. One of the pastor appreciation notes I got this week said, thank you for not bringing politics into the pulpit. I'm sorry, but I hope, I hope you understand. This is, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help us in this, right? Um, I, I, I hope you understand. Our problem is that we take the shortcut. Instead of living by the Word of God, we live by what somebody else says the Word of God has to say. We need friends who open the Word of God with us and help us navigate together the ups and downs of life in the cultures in which we live and the times in which we live so that we reflect not a political party nor a political candidate, but rather we reflect the very heart of God who has brought us into his family. That's our goal, right? And so many churches have destined themselves to be the, the church of a particular political party because they've forgotten that our goal is not to attract people that just believe the way we believe, but our goal is to attract people who are searching for friends and help them find the friend that we all have in Jesus. So, We need friends with a reliable compass. A reliable compass is the Word of God. We need friends with a reliable compass, but we also need friends who help others, uh, who bring out the best in others. We need friends who bring out the best. I need friends who will bring out the best in Eric Thomas. I need friends who will bring out the best in me. And that's uh, what uh, the bulk of these Proverbs talk about beginning in verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 Open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Uh, Friends that we need, friends who live by a reliable compass are the friends who tell us when we're getting off course. Open rebuke. These faithful wounds, these are friends who are frank and honest enough to tell us the truth about us. Not in an unkind way, not in a way that wants to hammer or berate or beat, but in a way that wants to correct, as the Scripture talks about correction. It is a loving thing that we do when we say, hey, listen, what you're deciding is not a reflection of what God says in His Word. What you're deciding is something other than that. And if you continue on this course, you're going to head for trouble. I'm your friend. I want to tell you this. And it's hard for us. It's hard for us to say the truth when we know it's going to be heard um, in less than a positive way. It's hard for us to receive hard truth 
when it confronts us in our faults. The reason it's hard for us is because we, all of us here, we would rather die by praise, be ruined by praise, than be rescued by correction. We would rather be ruined by praise than rescued by correction. I need friends in my life who are going to say, Eric, if you take one more step, you're going to fall off that cliff and it's not going to be good. I need friends in my life who love me and love God so much that they'll say, Eric, what you're doing is not what God says you should be doing. Now, they do it in love. Make no mistake, they do it in love. Some of us need to work on the love part. We're happy to tell the truth in a toxic kind of way. We need to work on the love part. We need faithful friends who are wise, who are living by a reliable compass, God's word, and who want to bring out the best in us by calling out the worst in us in love. They call out the worst in us. Here's the way it works. They, they, can, they love us enough and they know us well enough where they can put a finger on our faults without rubbing it in. They can highlight our wrongs without making it the theme of our life. They can call out the sin while still loving me, the person who is sinning. Is that who you are? Uh, it gets lost when your words of truth are so toxic. We need, to, we need to be the kind of friend and surround ourselves with the kind of friend who bring out the best in us because they call out even the worst in us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need friends who bring out the best in us because they give us a safe place to live and a soft place to land. All of us, all of us need a safe place, a safe harbor for living. Now you look in verse, uh, um, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse, uh, not verse 7, verse 8. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Now, the assumption there in verse 8 is that every person has a place that is safe for them. Like a bird, uh, a bird's place where he is safe or she is safe is the nest. If the bird gets out of the nest, if it wanders from the nest, then there is danger. And what what, uh, verse 8 is highlighting is that there is a place for us to find safety. Now, in the context of this proverb, most naturally, it is our home, surrounded by our family, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our children, those who want the best for us and think the best in us, who love us in hard ways to speak truth to us. That's family. How many of y'all live with your parents right now? How many of you over the age of 15, 18, 26? How many of you over the age of 26 live with your parents right now? God love you. You are awesome. So often what happens in culture and in our time is that there comes a point, my 26-year-old lives at home with me. I love it, right? I have four daughters, in case you didn't know, Uh, 26, 23. 
23. I'm in the middle of birthdays right now. My 25-year-old turned 26 on October 20th. So 26, 23, 21, and my 19-year-old turns 20 November 6th. Um, and all of them are still on the payroll. And I'm okay with that, right? Today. <laughs> there comes a point where they get off the payroll. And I think about in our uh, community where so many uh, have left the safety of their nest, their home. Uh, we think of, of families who have been uh, stationed here, who have taken up orders here. Uh, families who are here, but their spouse is deployed, and they're living in the rootlessness of life. They, they live here, but their, their real family, their, their home base is in Michigan or uh, Alaska or Colorado, but, but they're living here, and they're looking for friends who become like family. They're rootless. They're, they, they feel vulnerable, and they need a safe place to be. Look at verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Don't go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. So very clearly, he's saying you need to have Friends who are like family who are close by who can help you in the day of trouble. Give you a soft place to land. You speak to any naval base, any person in the military, they need a network of friendships that pour life into their world. And friends, I'm here to tell you, First Norfolk is that place. And we are those friends. And if you're part of this family of faith and you're not living up to that, get on board quick. Because we are representing Jesus Christ, our King. And we need to give security and safety to those who are captured in the malaise of rootlessness. We need friends who become like family for us. They bring out the best in us because they are with us in the difficulty, the ups and downs. They're navigating life with us all according to the reliable compass of God's will and his word. Friends who bring out the best in us. Verse 9 tells us that we need friends who encourage us. It's really just the opposite of the contentious woman in verse 16. Verse 15, uh, verse 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day, contentious woman are alike. And, and it's uh, the opposite of verse 14, the insensitive, incur the insensitive person, blesses, uh, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning would be counted a curse for him. By the way, you ought, to, you ought to plaster that in your house. Verse 14, not verse 15. You do verse 15, you are dumb. Don't do verse 15. Verse 14, I read, Edie and I were reading uh, verse, uh, this passage this week. She said, uh, when we read verse 15, she said, D does Proverbs ever say anything ugly about men like that? And I said, it's all, uh, all, every other ugly thing is about uh, men. 
in a way like that. But, but really, I think verse 14 and 15 go hand in glove. They're, they're not talking about gender. They're talking about character. They're not talking about a, a, just a woman that's contentious. They're talking about a man that's contentious. And they're talking about character, and that character is one who is insensitive to people. I, I'm going to be loud in my house early in the morning. It, 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 you know, on Sunday mornings when I leave at 4.30 or 4 o'clock, whenever I leave in the morning, um, for me to just bolster around and say, uh, rise and shine and give God the glory and glory, that would not be received well in my home. We need to be sensitive to where people are. Contentious. I don't need to be just looking for a fight. I need to be sensitive to where people are. And that's what verse 9 says. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. It's like burning oil essential oil, of course, in the house. It's like pouring joy in that little jug and letting it filter through the house. It's, it's, that, it's the aroma of delight that fills the senses of others because we're a friend who gives hearty counsel. That picture of hearty counsel uh, counsel means I'm going to give you what God says. It, it's the purpose and the plan uh, of God. It is the will of God. I'm going to give you counsel, and I'm going to give it to you hearty. Now, what is hearty? Hearty means uh, passionate, purposeful. Um, it means I'm, I'm going I'm to be excited and encouraging about this because this is how you and I can experience life. It is life-giving. I need to be the friend who gives life-giving counsel, not apologetic, but encouraging. I want, to, I want to give you an encouraging word. The best encouragement I can give you is, here's what God says. Here's how do we need to live. This is, this is what your emotions may say one thing, but this is what God says. Let's live by what God says. And that's the church we need to be. We need to be a, a battalion of friends ready to welcome all those in the seven cities of Hampton Roads to experience the warmth of wise friends. See, there's no compromise here. We're not talking about compromise. We're talking about compassion. Those are two different things. We're talking about Declaring the truth of God, found in the Word of God, revealed by the Spirit of God to our hearts. So today the question is, are you that friend? Am I that friend? And what needs to happen for me to be that friend? I think, I think part of what needs to happen in us is we need to remember that the model of friendship that I'm emulating is how Jesus has been a friend to me. And then be that kind of friend to others. See, the model of friendship is how Jesus is a friend to me, how he was a friend to me, Eric Thomas, a sinner, uh, separated from God by my sin. 
And yet Jesus uh, rescued me when he uh, uh, entered into the scene of human history. Fully God, yet becoming fully man. And he traveled his life perfectly and sinlessly. And yet he went to a cross to die in my place. He is truly a friend of sinners because he took the punishment that my sin demanded upon himself. He took my punishment so that he might give me life. I need to be that kind of friend to you, to others. And Jesus is my friend because Jesus is the one who knows my struggles. And Jesus is the one who cares about my cares. Do you realize that? There is no care, big or small, that Jesus doesn't care about it. When we're part of his family, he embraces us full and complete. And he says, this is a struggle in your life. This is a worry in your heart. This is an anxiety in your thoughts. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. We come to Jesus carrying all our cares to him. Why? Because he cares for us. Jesus is a friend to you today. Whatever it is that you're navigating, make no mistake that Jesus is the friend to you that you desperately need. Now, will you be that kind of friend to others? We need a friend like Jesus. And we need to be a friend like Jesus. Jesus today calls you to himself. Will you hear his call and come to him? Would you bow your heads, please? The hymn of my younger days declared, What a friend we have in Jesus, all my sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege. To carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. He knows your hurt. He knows your heart. Jesus knows your name. And he longs to help you today. I'm trying to be a friend to you by opening the reliable compass of God's Word and pointing out what kind of friends we need and what kind of friends we need to be. But it all begins with Jesus. And if you're here today and you have yet to embrace Jesus as Savior and King, I beg you, come to Him. In repentance and faith and find a friend who takes you on a soul-satisfying journey. If you are a follower of Jesus, will you come to Jesus for help? He's the friend you need.